Well, last week as we began uh, this sermon series, one of the things that I asked you to join me in doing was to declare uh, our faith. And I talked to you about something called the Apostles' Creed. You remember the Apostles' Creed has been around long before our canon of Scripture because it, is, uh, it existed before that time. It's been kind of the creed, the, the mantra uh, of the church. And so I'm going to, we're going to be, as we're going through this sermon series, rather, I should say, we are going to be saying this together on a regular basis. So I'm going to ask you one more time to stand with me. And uh, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. You're going to see it on the screen. For those of you at home, uh, you will see it on the screen as well, and I encourage you to engage with us in this way. Let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the church university, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is our creed. You may be seated this morning. I apologize for misspeaking there. I was doing two things at once. So last weekend, we began this new teaching series uh, that's going to take us kind of on an expedition uh, through the foundations of our faith. Uh, We began uh, by looking first at the picture of, of God, who we learned is a triune God, three persons, the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each one living and working in perfect harmony with the other. And it, it demonstrates for us this picture of a divine dance of love. You may have heard me refer to that last week, this divine dance of love that you and I are called into as well. We are called into this divine dance, and we're called to emulate in our own lives as we obediently choose to love and serve those who are around us. This week, we're going to move into a second foundational piece of our faith, and, and, and this piece is very much tied to the first, and that is simply Jesus. I want us to look uh, at three things when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. Who is He? What is He? And why did He come? Who is He? What is He? And why did He come? Now, sometimes we make the joke that there are answers that can usually be relied upon for almost any church setting. If you know, if you grew up in the church, you know what I'm talking about. It's things like Bible, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, prayer, no matter what questions is asked, you can probably go, Jesus? And there is a remotely good chance that you are right, right? Because there, there's a, there's a, the percentage is in your favor. But the unfortunate thing for a lot of Christians today is that is not too far from how they practice their own faith. They rely upon a few key pieces of information, and they hope 
that what they are thinking or what they are saying is correct. And sometimes it may be correct, but sometimes it is not. But the thing is, in order for us to make this faith stuff work, it has to be worked out. It has to be exercised and stretched, and you have to go through the process of, of asking and answering questions. In Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he encourages them with this. He says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, what Paul is saying here is not... He's saying we, we can't ever get to a place where we become content with where we have been. We can't ever get to a place where we say, well, I've been there and I've done that. We must continue to work out what God is doing in us. And when Paul says with fear and trembling, he doesn't mean that we have to go into this whole thing with some sort of like a, I'm scared, like this is really scaring me, not a, not a scared mentality, but that we should do so with incredible respect for just who God is and what he has done and he continues to do for us. And so as we continue to discover and explore our foundations in this time that we have together, let me encourage you, as Paul has done, keep working out your faith. And God will reveal more and more of himself to you. On the back of your bulletin today, you're going to find a whole list of scriptures, some of which we'll touch on today, some of which we will not. And I want to encourage you to take that home and read through those scriptures. This is part of how you work out your salvation, part of how you work out your faith. So today we're going to turn to one of those classic Sunday school answers that I spoke about a moment ago, and that answer is Jesus. So let's begin by looking at what our article of faith says about this topic. And again, you'll see this on the screen. And it says this, we believe in Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead, remember we talked about that last week, that he was eternally one with the Father, that means he was there with God the Father from the very beginning, that he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. That means he took on flesh, he became a man. So that the two whole and perfect natures, that is to say, the Godhead and manhood, are thus united in one person, very God and very man, the God-man. What that's simply saying is that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he truly arose from the dead and took again his body together with all the things appertaining to the perfection of man's nature. In other words, he took on our sins wherewith he ascended into heaven and is there engaged in intercession for us. Now, again, just as we saw last week, this kind of writing can be sometimes challenging to understand. And so this morning, we're gonna simply look at three questions. Who is Jesus, what is Jesus, and why did Jesus come? And all three of these questions are answered in our article of faith, 
and we are going to look together at the Scripture that supports each question and answer. And I want you to keep this in mind, please. As I said last week, I have only so much time today. <laughs> the, the topic of Jesus is fairly big, all right? Some of you may listen to today's message and go, well, I don't know why he didn't use that Scripture. And to you, I say, you're welcome to preach sometime. There's a lot of scriptures that we could use here. I had to narrow it down. And I encourage you, if you think you can preach better, to go home and practice in front of the mirror and let's talk, all right? Because maybe you need to do that. Maybe God's got a call on your life. Be careful what you ask for. So I'm not going to share with you the whole enchilada today, but we're going to work on some foundational pieces, and I do encourage you to go deeper. So there are probably not many people that we would put up against the questions that we are going to ask today. There are not many people from the course of history that, that, we, would, that we would impose these same questions on. And, and the reason for that is because nobody before Jesus or since him has made the claims that Jesus made with the kind of proofs that he provided. Nobody. Nobody before Jesus or since Jesus has done the kinds of things that Jesus did that have been documented and recorded. Now, when we look at the life of Jesus, it is truly a, a remarkable life, and anyone who takes an honest look at Jesus has to come away with some questions like, who is this guy? What, what did he do? Why did he do it? A couple of things before we get into each question. I am using Scripture as the foundation for everything that I am teaching you today. This is our foundational and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, the Holy Scriptures. It's important to note that the Scriptures are not just a good book. They're not just a history book. They're not a fairy tale. This is God's Word, and it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It has been carried down over centuries with accuracy that nothing else in history comes close to. I need you to understand that. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. Nothing compares to the Holy Scriptures in accuracy and resiliency and longevity. Nothing. And I encourage you, again, go deeper. Go beyond even what the Scriptures have to say because there's a lot of great things that are written out there. In fact, there's a great book that I would recommend to you called The Case for Christ. It's written by Lee Strobel. And here's my deal for you today. I have 10 copies sitting on my chair right over there. If you promise to read it, you can have it. You gotta promise to read it, because I'm, I'm gonna ask you questions. I've read it. It's a great book. It's not a small one, there are no pictures. But if you wanna go deeper and you wanna be able to answer some more questions about Jesus Christ, I recommend that book. So let's look at our first question today, who is Jesus? Turn your Bibles with me in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look at three primary texts today. Two of them are in Matthew and one is in Colossians. So the first one for us, Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, our favorite, right? He said, oh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed 
are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, he's telling Peter, you did not figure this out on your own. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I don't want to dwell on that last verse, but I'll just tell you simply, people weren't ready to hear it. That's why he said that. So our first question is, who is Jesus. Now, we often refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ, but a more proper uh, answer is that Jesus is the Christ. There's certainly nothing wrong with us saying Jesus Christ, but Jesus was the Christ. So when Peter called Jesus the Christ in our text this morning, what he was saying in that moment was that Jesus was the promised and the prophesied Messiah. Jesus was the one that the children of Israel had been waiting for. And furthermore, Peter confessed that Jesus was the son of the living God, the living God. Now, at the beginning of what we just read, Matthew made sure to include the location of where Jesus and his disciples were, and this is important for us as we seek to understand this part of Peter's confession. They were in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and this was a center of worship. Over the course of time, it was a center of worship for the god Baal, then it was a center of worship for the Greek god Pan, and then it was a place of worship even for Caesar. This was, in essence, a, a, a a center for worship for nearly anything and everyone but God. Now, perhaps it's hard for us to fully relate to something like this, so let me allow, allow me to try to, to illustrate for just a moment. Imagine, if you would for me, that there is an arena somewhere, and it is centered around, around one primary entity, Okay, and, and, and everywhere you look, there are signs indicating that this space is dedicated to this entity. As a visitor to this particular place of worship, you can buy clothes and you can buy hats and, and you can buy a variety of things that will aid you in the ceremony that you have come to be a part of. Everywhere you look, you see other people wearing similar garb, and they're all shouting, and they're cheering, and they're waving their hands around as they celebrate this entity. And as the event begins, and you are standing in this arena, the ground begins to shake. The ground begins to shake, right? And, and, there's, and there's a rumble of people and of music and of cheering. And not only is this entity being worshipped, but many other entities that are associated with the primary entity. Their names are announced one by one, and they come streaming from beneath the gallery uh, under the cheers of the people, and they're lifted higher and higher, and each entity just soaks up the glory and the adulation that comes from the screaming worshipers. If you have not figured out what I'm talking about, just picture for yourself Cleveland Cavaliers. And just imagine that in the middle of all of this, Jesus comes to you and he says, so who do you say I am? 
Who do people say that I am? In the midst of all of this, I mean, we've got this great worship of all these gods and all these entities, but who do you say I am? And Peter's confession, his words in this moment were so significant and so filled with meaning that Jesus' response to Peter was simply, that's it. You got it. That's what I was hoping that you would say, and the fact that you said it tells me that you get it, and you get it because God revealed it to you. And it's on this truth, this confession of faith, that Jesus says the church will be built. And when I read this, and there are a number of ways that that this is sometimes understood, but when I read this, what I see is that Jesus was saying, this is what I need from those who choose to follow me. A confession that acknowledges who I am. Because in that confession is found power and is found authority that will be the fuel that fires my church. The second question is what is Jesus? Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. Just flip to the the beginning of the book of Matthew there. Just a few verses here I want us to look at together. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 20. Now, this is Joseph. We're talking about Joseph here. And he says, But as he considered these things, Joseph being the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Do you remember in our article of faith? that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not, meaning they did not have any sexual intimacy until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the question for us is, what is Jesus? And the answer first is this, Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. You see, Matthew quotes here from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which is just one, by the way, just one of the prophecies we can find for Jesus in the Old Testament. There are in excess of 120 different prophecies that are messianic in nature. In other words, they are prophecies that point to the person of the Messiah. God was talking about his plan. Listen, God was talking about his plan way before it happened. And this makes me think right now of all the different voices that exist right now in our world. There are a lot of prophets out there trying to point to what they believe is going to happen or, or, or to explain what has happened. And here's the reality, guys. These voices are often woefully inadequate. And they are often inaccurate. They are often proved wrong, and then they try to go back and say, well, what what I really meant was, or well, you just misunderstood what I was saying. But here in the Old Testament, we find prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that points to one single person. And let me tell you something, every prophecy of God that we find in the Old Testament Scripture is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Not one is left dangling. 
So Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy, and Jesus is God. Look again what Matthew says here in chapter 1, quoting Isaiah 7. His name shall be Emmanuel, and our translation actually explains it for us right there, which means God with us. So Jesus doesn't just come as, as, as a promise kept. He doesn't just come as a fulfillment of everything that God said was going to happen. He doesn't just come to represent God. He doesn't just send some, God doesn't send Jesus down. Listen, you go down and be my front man for a little while. Jesus came as God. And this takes us back to what we talked about last week and our understanding that Jesus is a part of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is God. Now, our last question this morning is probably the most significant question for us, but it must, we have to view that question under the first two questions, or maybe with the foundation of the first two questions. Who is Jesus and what is Jesus? We must begin with the understanding that Jesus is the Christ who was promised that he came as the son of the living God, not just another God in a long list of gods. He was the living God, that he fulfilled prophecy, that he is fully God. And then we come to this question and we ask ourselves, so why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Now I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, Paul's church to the Colossian, Paul's letter to the Colossian church. It's gonna be about midway through your New Testament. We're gonna be in Colossians chapter one. And now this is Paul. He is, he is writing to the church, and he is, he is explaining a little bit about Jesus Christ to them. And this is what he says about Jesus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. All right, Jesus is, Jesus is the image of the God we can't see, we can now see in the person of Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation. Remember, he was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, right? Remember this? In heaven and on earth, visible uh, and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or uh, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him all things hold together. I'd like to know this guy. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was fully God. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, you guys who were once alienated and you were hostile in mind, you were doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Let me go back. You who were once alienated, who were pushed aside, who were rejected, who were unable to commune with the Father God, whose spirits and bodies and minds were wrecked and living in sin, you were doing evil deeds, he has reconciled you in his body by his flesh, by the death of his flesh. Why? So that he can present you holy and blameless and above reproach for him. Guys, Jesus paid the price. The answer to the question, why did Jesus come, is really quite simple, and it's just one thing. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Jesus came to restore that which had been broken. 
The relationship between the creator and his creation. Jesus came to make available to us the righteousness and the holiness that God created for us in the beginning. Each one of us is created to be a reflection of God. Each one of us is created to be a reflection of of Jesus Christ to the world. Every single one of us, and listen to me this morning, it does not matter where you have been and what you have done The whole point we just read in Colossians, the whole point of why Jesus came. He was the only one who could do what he did. Why? Because he was God. Because he was part of the plan from the very beginning. Because he was not just a good teacher or a good man. He was the pure and perfect and spotless sacrifice that could pay the price for all that you once were. And so that we could become all that God has designed us to be. You do not have to live your life in bondage. Hear me this morning. You do not have to live your life in bondage. You do not have to live your life in sin. You do not have to to live your life in pain. Why? Because Jesus, the Christ, has the power to set you free from all of that. We believe, I I believe, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That he rose from the dead. That he ascended into heaven and that he sits at the right hand of the throne of God and that he is fighting for you. And that one day he will return. And what a glorious day that would be. So there you have it. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is God. He came to reconcile you and me to God, to make the payment for our sins, to make us holy and righteous in our Father's eyes. And all of these things are important, church. We should know this. I met a young man some time ago. He was a fairly new Christian, uh, maybe just a couple of years or so. He was so passionate about the Scripture. In fact, he was so passionate, I was embarrassed. I have degrees. I've studied and written and done all kinds of things, and I have a massive library of, of theology books. And as I stood and I talked to this young man, he was quoting for me Scripture both verbatim the scripture and giving me the address for it, and I was embarrassed, I was humiliated because I couldn't keep up with the guy. But as I continued to talk to him, I began to realize something. He knew all these answers, he really did. He could quote scripture after scripture. But none of what he knew up here had made its way to here. His head was full of knowledge, but his heart lacked any transformation. Jesus did not come and do all of these things that we have talked about this morning so that we could have an article of faith. Jesus did not come and do all the things that we've talked about this morning in order that we could tell other people about what he has done. He did these things so that our hearts would be changed. 
that we would become transformed people. Now, I could ask you this morning, who is Jesus, what is Jesus, why did Jesus come, and you might know the answers, especially if you've paid attention at all for the past 20 minutes or so. But what really matters is if you are able to answer the question that Jesus asked Peter. Who do you say that I am? And to answer it on your own terms, not on Peter's terms, like, I can do that. You're the Christ, son of the living God. No, no, no. That was Peter's terms. That was Peter's. When Jesus comes to you in your arena of worship, when you're surrounded by the gods that have your attention, and Jesus turns to you and he says, who do you say that I am? How are you going to answer that? I don't want you answering it on my terms. I don't want you answering it on your parents' terms. I want you answering it on your terms. In other words, no one else can answer this question but you. So can you answer the way that Peter answered? Can, can you make the statement that Peter made and also recognize what Jesus has done for you? Because Peter's statement was filled with power and authority. It wasn't just something he recited off. In the midst of that situation, Peter looked and he recognized exactly what was going on. He said, Jesus, you, you are the son of the living God. Jesus, you are the Christ. And that confession of faith was filled with power. And it was filled with authority. And it was that power and that authority that we began to see flourish and bloom as we continue to read, not only through Jesus' ministry, but through the book of Acts and all through the epistles as the church expanded. It didn't expand because they had great programs. It didn't expand because they were great speakers. Paul was horrible, by the way. It didn't expand because they had great buildings. It didn't expand because they had beautiful flower beds. It expanded because they were operating from the power and the authority of the confession of faith that Jesus Christ is God. Amen. So can you stand before me right here in this place today or at home watching with us this morning and affirm the truth of his death and his resurrection? Do you recognize and accept that it was his death that brought the forgiveness of your sins? And it was his resurrection that promises you eternal life. You see, these are the questions that are put before us, not just right now here in this moment, not just as we consider the questions, you know, who was Jesus, what did he do, why did he come, but every single day of our lives, because you and I are living in the abundant grace of God right now. Please understand that you are living in the abundant grace of God, whether you are walking with him or if you are walking apart from him. We are living in his mercy and in his love and all of that is made available to us because God loves us so much, every single one of us so much that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him that he was the Christ, the son of the living God would not perish but there's more for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him.
And every part of this begins with a decision that you have to make to receive the gift that God has given you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that gift is the gift of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a free gift that's made available because of the suffering and the rejection and the death of Jesus Christ. Do you understand this morning, Jesus paid the price for your sins. His resurrection holds for us a promise of eternal life that is available to each and every one of us that are willing to receive Jesus as both Lord and Savior. And I can't preach a message about who Jesus was and, 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 and what Jesus has done and why Jesus came without taking a moment today and extending to you this invitation. Receive the gift. Receive the gift if you have never received it before in your life, or perhaps you have received the gift. We don't talk about this a lot in our tribe, but, but I remember growing up, man, there was a lot of rededicating of lives at the altar, amen? Because sometimes we receive the gift and then we stick it in our back pocket. Sometimes we're fully aware of the gift, but we have not been living like we actually have the gift in our possession. In other words, what I'm saying, let me stop speaking in illusions. Sometimes we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but we don't live like it. And so we have to come to a point where we go, okay, Jesus, I need to, I need to, I need to kind of do a restart here. I kind of got to get things back where they're supposed to be. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that might be you this morning. And there is nothing more than Jesus wants for you than to be found. For you to receive what he's given you. So this morning, I'm going to simply invite you to respond. I'm going to invite you to receive this gift that I'm talking about, God's love and God's forgiveness to receive the gift of God's mercy, which means that everything that you have done in your past is forgiven. Man, who wouldn't want a clean slate? Who wouldn't want a, a fresh start? To receive uh, uh, fully the gift of God's grace, which means that, that the things that we don't even deserve, we're still getting because God loves you. God's still calling him to you. God's still drawing you toward him. Even if you're, you've been running and you're walking so far apart from him that whole time, God is just trying to draw you closer to him. He's still trying to speak to you so that you will hear him. He is still watching over you and he cares about you because he loves you. So I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me this morning. And as I pray, if this is where your heart is, I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. There's nothing... There's nothing magical about this prayer. There was nothing magical about Peter's response to Jesus. It wasn't like Peter had finally figured out the formula. I finally figured out the right thing to say to Jesus. What was happening in that moment is that Peter's heart was in the right place. And when Peter made his confession of faith, it clicked. So this morning as we pray, 
maybe it will click for you. But you have to pray the prayer. It's not me praying it for you. It's you praying the prayer in your own heart and in your own spirit. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? And if this is where your heart is today, you can just pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I'm asking today for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead. And so today I turn from my sins, and I invite you into my heart and into my life. I am choosing today to trust you and to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Now, if, you've, if you prayed that prayer with me just now, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. If you are at home watching online, um, I'd ask that you just uh, fill out your Connect card. Let us know you've made a decision that you prayed that prayer today. If you have my email, Mark and MP Naz, you can email me. If you have a text, I'm not giving that over here. But if you have my cell phone, you can text me. If you're here in this place this morning, as we begin to sing this song, as we begin to sing, if you have made a decision, if, if that decision is to make Jesus Lord of your life, if you have said, man, I just kind of needed a jump start. I need to kind of restart. I need to rededicate. If that's you, if you just want to pray and get on your knees at this altar as we thank Jesus for who he is, I want to invite you to come up to this place right here. I'll be ready to anoint with oil if anybody wants to be prayed over and anointed. I got Pastor Blair is my only, and I got Pastor Matt, my two pastors that are here today. Pastor Matt and Miranda got stranded in Atlanta last night with weather. And, but we're here and we'll pray over you, pray with you. We just want to encourage you, especially today if you've made a decision to follow Jesus. We want to get you off on the right foot. So as we stand now and sing together, I invite you to continue to respond to what God's saying to your heart today.